Oscar, where's 1049 Park Avenue? This is 1049 Park Avenue! Can two divorced men share an apartment without driving each other crazy? And welcome to 1049 Park Avenue, an odd couple podcast. Ted Linhart, Garrett Isler here in 2023. Happy New Year, Garrett. Happy New Year. Where's Felix? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we should party without Felix. We should have recorded it on New Year's Eve and done, and then we, we could tell different versions of. Uh, We've of, done the uh, podcast three podcast. times? Yeah, something like that. Were you available on New Year's Eve? Uh, yeah, kind of. Oh, okay. So this episode will focus on the four TV series that Jack and Tony did after The Odd Couple. We're going to go in chronological order. The two shows each they had, uh, for Jack, it's Quincy and You Again. And for Tony, it's the Tony Randall Show and Love, Sydney. And uh, we'll just do Quincy in this part one episode. And then we will come back uh, at some point in the next week or two and do the other three shows um, as... uh, for a part two we'll play opening theme songs we'll have some clips we have a lot of interviews with the people involved in these shows uh to talk about them we've done our own research uh we've a few things before we get there garrett you wanted to mention a few topics before we start yeah. and then i have uh, something also great since our last uh epic tangent epic tangent podcast i'd call it uh <laughs> Uh, where we did Tony and Jack as themselves, right? That was the theme. We did Tony and Jack as themselves in several TV appearances during the general period of The Odd Couple or related to The Odd Couple. Uh, we did the Dean Martin roast of the two of them. Uh, uh, but I wanted to just follow up and and say that I did finally watch the the other roast they did of just Jack Klugman. Uh, and which we didn't include because it wasn't i didn't well i wouldn't even suggest it because i didn't realize that tony randall was on it and now that i've watched it i can say that that it is worth checking out if you've never seen it just especially if, uh, for the end because tony is the last speaker the last roaster and actually after a few kind of middling jokes he actually just gets very sincere and says you know i can't insult you i i just love you too much and you're such a, i can't say you're a bad actor you're 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 a great actor so it's a very touching moment between the two of them in what would have been like the year, very relevant to what we're talking about today, like the year after, year or two after the show ended. Like Quincy's already started, I think, by the time of the roast. So, and I get the feeling like Tony misses doing The Odd Couple and sees his friend with a, a big TV show already. And it was before his uh, Tony Randall show got started. So, and it was also a better roast. We talked last time about how the Tony and Jack roast didn't have all the the classic roasters, uh, but this one does have Red Buttons and uh, Don Rickles and uh, um, I forget who else, but some of the uh, the big the big hitters, the heavy hitters. Now, the only other thing I wanted to say about this episode is that one TV show I would have loved to have included, but we just could not find, was this show called Brothers Keeper, which um, I found out, uh, and I think you knew this too, but from reading uh, Bob Lajak's book, uh, Odd Couple on Stage and Screen, 
they there was a sitcom called Brothers Keeper. Were you otherwise aware of this? Show? I I mean, it was one of those Fox sitcoms that came and went that I remember, you know, reading the fall preview of TV Guide, never watching and never caring about. That's my extent. I didn't realize that what, what you're about to say, which is that they were on the show. Yeah. As, as well, as a kind of uh, homage, they did a guest. They both did a guest spot as an homage with different names, characters. Uh, I'll just say read from Bob Playjack's book. They reunite. Uh, they they reunited again as Anthony and Jack Swan, not Felix and Oscar, for the short-lived 1999 sitcom called Brothers Keeper. This is late 90s for already. Um, this is after Jack's operation and well into uh, Tony's uh, uh, National Actors Theater, uh, and just kind of not too many years before Tony Randall died. So it must be one of his last TV appearances. Short-lived 1999 sitcom called Brothers Keeper in episode number 17. It was ABC, titled, by the way. I said Fox. I okay. meant ABC. Sorry. Titled uh, ep episode 17, titled An Odd Couple of Days, which aired on February 19, 1999. In the episode, Anthony and Jack are brothers... One of them is named, oh, Anthony and Jack, right. Uh, Anthony and Jack are brothers-in-law who own a garage. Anthony is finicky and Jack is carefree. Anthony's big gripe with Jack is that he continually splits infinitives in his sentences. There's even one scene in which Jack is watching an episode of The Odd Couple on the TV in the waiting room and says, those two will never make it. Coincidentally, a regular character on Brothers Keeper portrayed by eight-year-old Justin Cooper is named Oscar. I'm looking at there. This show had a lot of guest stars as themselves: Dan Deardorff, Boomer mm -hmm. Siason, Henry Kissinger. <laughs> that can't be. It, it says it, <laughs> Bill Maher, Carl Malone, Al Michaels. I believe that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Henry Kissinger was an episode called "Politically Impolite." Wow. All right. So my thing that I want to get to before we get to our main topic. Oh, yeah, is, I just want to say the reason sorry. why we're not talking about Brothers Keeper is we can't find it. Yes, so I did look for that episode. If anyone out there has it or knows how to watch it, clearly Bob Lajak did. Uh, be very curious and love, obviously love to be able to watch that someday. You can email us at 1049pod at gmail.com. Uh, so as, as doing research for this, I stumbled onto this clip that I don't think we actually played. I don't know if you mentioned it, where Tony Randall discusses his favorite episodes. And uh, there's some... We didn't play it, yeah. And there's some interesting. Did you did you mention it during the show? I'm not sure. Uh, there are interesting some interesting tidbits about how two of his favorite and two of our favorites, and I think two of everyone's favorites episode came to be. Um, so I'm going to play that now. I'd like to uh, focus on a few individual episodes of uh, the odd couple that stand out. One being the episode "Fear of Flying," because mm. it seems like there were some uh, changes acquired from the network on that one. Do you remember anything about that? Yes. Um, that had happened twice. We had a very good script uh, that began with me, um, by happenstance, uh, finding something on Oscar's desk, an article in his typewriter he's working on. He's working on um, homosexuality in sports. And... Uh, I mis misunderstood it and thought it was a confessional. And I said, gee, if you think if either one of us was, it would be me. <laughs> 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 that, uh, 
That whole show was never made. You couldn't touch that subject. So, um, in the sphere of flying, which is my favorite of all our episodes, yeah. it's the funniest, I think, <laughs> we, we end up taking a charter flight. It turns out the charter flight is a gay group chartered the plane. They wouldn't let us do that. So at the last minute, Gary rewrote it. Gary under pressure is unbeatable. He made them a parachute jumping club. And I'm responsible for, I think, the funniest joke that I've ever come up with. Because that, that was mine. I, I, don't, I don't mind telling you. Um, before they jump, I go to the bathroom. And when I come back, the plane's empty. We never could get the line out. I just kept looking around. The line was, weren't there a lot of people here? But the audience was laughing so hard, you couldn't say the line. I, that was really funny. So in some ways, that particular as instance of the network interference made for good comedy. In any result, case yeah. where, where Gary was stymied, he'd come up mm -hmm. with something better. That's his nature. Mm -hmm. Can, uh, can you tell me what it was like uh, working with Wally Cox again in the Felix the Writer episode? Only that it was pleasant to have him around. Mm -hmm. I didn't see enough of him. Yeah. I loved the guy. I, I saw so little of him in those years. Mm -hmm. The only time I really saw him was on Hollywood Squares. And I, I used to do it just to be around Wally. Well, speaking of game shows, there was a episode of The Odd Couple, a password episode. Yes. Um, and Frank Buxton wrote it, yes. I believe. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that came about in the following manner. Okay. I was going on password, and I practiced at home with my wife. And she got everything wrong. She couldn't seem to get it right. I'd say needles. I wanted to say pins. She'd say hypodermic. And I'd finally say, no, it's pins. And she'd say, well, what's that got to do with hypodermic? <laughs> and I went in the next morning and told that to Gary Marshall. I said, we've got we've to put the boys on password and do just what we did with my wife last night. And with that, he said yes. And Frank Buxton wrote it. And it was the only time that a first draft was usable. The first draft is practically what we shot. Those were interesting nuggets that I don't we I don't recall ever digging those up. I do remember the, that he took he is his idea about Felix going to the bathroom while the parachutes jump. Uh, that I remember whether I heard it here or read it somewhere else. But um, and I did yeah I think I heard the part just about that episode that it was originally a, a gay charter flight. I didn't, but I haven't heard the rest of that now. Yeah, so that was some good stuff. All but right. My question about yes. that is what was what was gonna be the main joke or the main plot twist of the gay charter flight? Like they could still they don't have to jump out of the plane. Uh is the plane still going to whatever it was, Houston, Houston, I think. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe just observing that everyone was gay around them. Be awkward was the joke. Or, yeah, yeah or something they, like that. Or that's why it was going it was gonna go to San Francisco or something. I mean, I and they wanted to get away from them. I, I, that I mean, it just sounds like that. As they, a, they could. Why did they think they could get away with that? And, oh, I, 
I think we discussed that. Uh, I know I know one of the librarians at Northwestern University, and he said the Gary Marshall archive is going. His, his estate is the oh, archives right. going there. Yeah. So, uh, right, good. Maybe it was the way to like study some of these. That would be yeah. a, a good episode to do. Yeah, definitely. All right, so let's move on to our first topic of our topic. Uh, the first post odd couple show in order was Quincy, and it's the only successful series either one of them had. And it was a big success, 148 episodes over eight seasons, NBC, 1976 to 1983. I don't know that we really need to explain this, but for the 21-year-old listen, 21 year olds listening to the podcast, <laughs> Quincy was a medical examiner for the city of Los Angeles, but he was out on the street investigating crimes and advocating for social issues as much as he was in the laboratory or more. Uh, Jack employed many of his friends on the show. We've mentioned during oh. each episode of The Odd Couple, we'd always say that so-and-so was then on Quincy. Uh, Gary Wahlberg has got the best out of it. He played uh, Speed on The Odd Couple, of course, and was Lieutenant Monaghan for the show. Eddie Garrett, mm. who we talked about. No relation. To, right. Uh, and Not Your Father, right. was the who was, of course, the ultimate Odd Couple extra. He was the uh, photographer who was named Ed. Uh, also appearing on the show were Robert Ito as Sam Fujiyama, Quincy's assistant, John S. Ragan as his boss, Dr. Aston, Joseph Roman as Sergeant Brill, Val Basoglio, Basoglio, I don't know how to say his name right, as Danny, the owner of the restaurant that Quincy was always at called Danny's. Now, I you know, did not watch all eight seasons for this podcast. I've seen the show many, many times over the years. I'm a huge fan. But so something I, like 200 episodes. Like 148 episodes. Oh, 148. Sorry. I stumbled onto something by completely accident watching an episode. I never knew that the character of Ed, Eddie Garrett, had a last name on the show. <laughs> All right, what is it? Okay, I'm going to play you the clip. Oh, okay, Listen carefully. I was looking all over the lab for you, gentlemen. I want you to meet Dr. Harriet Bolin, Dr. Quincy, Sam Bujama, Eddie Garrett. <laughs> now, <How> original <laughs> so i said that's there's no way he they just called him the exact same name now <laughs> two things about this first of all it on this show this happened a lot there was a one of the meta one of the technical advisors was a guy named mark scott taylor and he played mark taylor on the show the the lab assistant named mark is mark taylor okay and ed was ed now i went to look at the closed captioning yeah and it says eddie rogers in the closed captioning that's not what I heard. So what I think happened is, or speculation, is this, the <laughs> script yeah. says Eddie Rogers, yeah. and I think closed captioning is done by not by listening to the show, maybe as much as a transcript of the show. I'm, I'm making a guess here. And I think either Jack Klugman decided to just call the character Eddie Garrett in that moment, or John S. Ragan made a mistake and just knows the guy's Eddie Garrett and said <laughs> right. Eddie Garrett and they left it in. <laughs> or made it was making doing it as a joke. But I never knew that character had a last name. And I completely found that by accident. I just happened to, you know, I watched, I don't remember what episode it was. I just watched it and I and there and that happened. So <laughs> I thought so that was weird. fascinating. In a way, it's so fitting because he will always be Eddie Garrett. Even in, yes. like in the odd couple, he rarely had a character name. Right. Yeah, sometimes, but rarely. And so to us, he's always been Eddie Garrett. And what else would he be now? Exactly. Why <laughs> give him, Why make him Eddie Rogers anyway? <laughs> and uh, now that's great. You found out he had as a last name. Did you ever find that he had more than one line 
I saw some some episodes where he had uh, two or three lines, but it wasn't a lot. It's amazing. He makes it into the closing, the regular closing credits. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I just wonder, though, like, did he even get a was it like a five line minimum? (laughs) He must. I mean, he maybe in an episode, he had five lines, but not in a scene. Right. So this is what I am convinced, by the way, with the case of him, especially in Gary Wahlberg. It's like these are people that Jack Klugman goes to the track with, and that's yeah. why I'm on the show. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, this is one of my favorite shows in general. Uh, I just watched it as a kid all the time. What did you have? What's your experience with Quincy? I surprisingly never watched Quiz Quincy when it was on, even though I was such a huge Odd Couple fan. Because to me, I was just such a fan of the Odd Couple without necessarily, you know, transferring that on to them. I mean, I I enjoyed seeing them in other things whenever I did, but I was not into that kind of format. I was not into the hour-long drama, not into the mysteries, uh, crime shows. Now, I did not watch it in its original run. I watched it in syndication afterwards. Uh, Of course, this is the forerunner to CSI in many ways, that whole genre. This is, you know, when CSI came out, there's and there's still today, there's a lot of attribution to Quincy being the forerunner of the forensic science shows. I've seen all the episodes many times. I own the DVDs. Now, this show is actually not streaming anywhere. Wild. It's on Cozy TV, which is, I'm right. guessing, where you I've... watched it. Now, however, the Internet Archive is a fascinating website. It's People apparently can put videos there in some sort of public service way. It's, called, it's archive.org. So there are full seasons of Quincy on archive.org to watch and I think it's not illegal for some reason. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> now that you're putting it out there, maybe. Uh, I'm not the first. These have who been there for years. Who owns the rights to, to it? It's universal. It's yeah. it's it's universal. And that Jack Klugman sued Universal at one point for profits. And I don't know if that screwed anything up. But um, so, but it's easy to watch on Cozy and it's easy to watch on Archive. I think if it, were, if it truly, like the rights lapsed, then it would be streaming somewhere. So. Well, there's no lapse rights. And that's. There's okay. no copyright issues. It's no, it's I, 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 I stream. There could be honeymooners is also not streaming anywhere. Oh. And there are some times where streaming right, streaming rights are complicated or involved. Okay, okay but that means someone's preventing it from. Streaming. It's possible. I don't know the answer to this why Quincy's not streaming, except to say it's available on archive.org and, and it is on Cozy. several times a day, like three, three times a day, or at least on Cozy. And there's also the DVDs, which is how I oh, was awesome. watching them. Now, the show started as four TV movies which was part of the last season of the NBC Sunday mystery movie Wheel, which was very popular in the 70s on NBC, which is where Columbo was, uh, many other shows. This rotated in the last season of that Wheel with Columbo, McLeod, and McMillan, not McMillan and wife, because Susan St. James had left the show in a contract dispute in the last season of McMillan and wife, and they retitled it McMillan. So it's just McMillan with Rock Hudson. Uh, they were 90 minutes, those four Quincy's. The show did well enough uh, to get a renewal for a second season of one-hour episodes. There were 13 in season two. And then they did six more seasons between 18 and 24 episodes, uh, aired primarily on Wednesdays, but also Thursdays. Now, the history of the show, its origins, there's a lot of theories out there. The three main theories that you can find if you research this online there was a Canadian series called Wojek, which was about a Canadian medical examiner that aired from 66 to 68 on the CBC starring John Vernon, the 
noted character actor. Um, you know, John Vernon, he, I think, wasn't he in, in, uh, in, uh, 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 the big John Belushi movie in the seventies, like Animal House. Animal House was, I think, he's the dean. Oh, okay. Um, so he was a coroner who fights for moral injustices. There's a book called Where Death Delights by a lawyer and FBI agent named Marshall Houts, who wrote this book about the and New York City Chief Medical Examiner Dr. Milton Hepburn. Helpern. And if you look up the 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 uh, obituary for Marshall Houts, it credits in the obituary that where death delights was inspiration for Quincy. And then the one I always thought of with the, is the career of Thomas Noguchi, who was the chief medical examiner in the city of Los Angeles, the real where Quincy where Quincy is. Um, and that it was based on his exploits. Okay. Now, then, then a lot of people just assume it's, um, uh, it's a combination of those, mm-hmm. but as I found when you talk, when you listen to Glenn Larson, who created Quincy and is the executive producer, or Jack Klugman talk about the show, they mention none of these things. <laughs> they don't care. So I don't know if they don't care. It just may not be true. I People see. may be speculating that because these things are like Quincy, therefore they inspired Quincy. Right. Hmm. Uh, all right. So let's first listen to Glenn Larson. It's a long clip, six minutes. Talk about the origins of Quincy. Next one we're talking about. Let's talk about Quincy and how that came about. The very first forensic uh, show on television. That's a show that that everyone said we couldn't do uh, because, uh, and the truth of the matter is, Jack said he had gotten 80 scripts because he had just left. um, uh, The Odd Couple. The Odd Couple. And uh, everybody thinks Jack's funny. Jack's funny when Neil Simon's writing. He can be a handful other times, but very talented actor, obviously, going all the way back to some of the great early dramas and television. And and he wanted to do a doctor show. He had a thing about doctors, and he really liked this script. It's the best script he had read. And uh, Lou Shaw had come into me with an idea for something, and I had I had always thought that we should work in this area. He he had the name quince on a piece of paper and a, and a character i liked the word quincy and it, for no other reason than quincy jones uh is a you know one of my uh, favorite uh people and i thought the name is lyrical and i always thought names were very important in a in a television show and uh, labels and things like that and quick audience identification we did a script uh, on our own we this was not bought by a network nobody was buying this we sat down the studio said go ahead and write it go, but you write. pitched was it frank price who said we want to do a show about a coroner or, or no no he said i told him what i wanted to do and he said he said i've always felt there's a great series in that but we've never been able to lick it okay i mentioned to you that i felt i had a, 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 developed at least a style and my style was that you could um if you if you infused it with a certain amount of humor uh you could present subject matter that maybe otherwise would not be uh you know thrilling to the audience or or there might be a turnoff what happened here was beyond belief we 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 that's me this must be lunchtime um uh, 
we we write it we write the script and we write it for someone like bob wagner mm -hmm. and it's a true story bob plays a young a swinging young doctor women love him because he's a doctor unfortunately they find out that he works with dead bodies he only works with dead people they're not as attracted to him but we got a scene on the boat where he lives and it's a beautiful thing like this bob comes to me and he said you can't tell anybody that you pitched this to me because I'm getting out of my contract. And, and he said, I, I'd love to do it, but I really want to get out of here. So we offered to James Earl Jones. Now, James Earl Jones is quite a contrast to Bob Wagner. And James Earl Jones is a, you know, a great white hope, all these terrific things. He wants to do crib death and, and things that are very, you know, uh, gutsy current topics and we said fine but he says i won't do an hour show and the studio wanted the option to go to an hour and this was for the this again was for the mystery movie so uh he they can't make the deal so then the, someone says what about jack klugman well everybody's been pitching klugman and he doesn't want to do anything he reads it he says he has maybe two notes and it's the best writing he's ever seen. Everything's wonderful. We bring him aboard. We shoot it. And we take it. And it's Erwin Siegelstein's first day on the job at NBC as the new president. And the, the story dealt with a couple of missing checks in the city of Los Angeles, which is a true story. Uh, and he looks at it and he says, well, of course, the story's ridiculous. No one's ever going to believe that two checks disappeared that were worth hundreds of thousands of dollars and boom, 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 boom. And uh, I think he's kidding, by the way, as this is going down. And uh, and he says, and we can't possibly do a show about corpses. And they said, well, we've already committed to 13 with Jack Klugman. And he said, well, it's 13 and out. <laughs> we go. And um, they put it on the air against their will, and it ran eight years. You couldn't kill it with a stick. Um, well, you mentioned 13 uh, commitment. It started as a 90-minute series of movies for the mystery movie. When was the decision made to go from the mystery movies to the hour-long series? I have to think about that for a minute, because that's right. It was for the it was for the mystery movie. I don't. I, I at this moment I can't. I have to. I have to make a quick call on that. I, I'm trying to remember what. Maybe it was just it's six and out or whatever it was. It was committed to the wheel. Um, what was your relationship like with Jack Klugman? You said he loved the pilot, but I'll, I'll get to that. I got to okay. tell you a different story. You, you remember how we pitched this one? Mm -hmm. Uh, we went over to Universal and we were screening something else and I asked Lou to tell him what this story is and he gets about four beats into it and he says uh, and, the, and the network says stop right there go write it you've sold it and Lou holds up his hands and he says, no, 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 you haven't heard the best part. <laughs> I put my hand over his mouth and hustled him out of the room.
So I had no idea that this, that Robert Wagner was the first mm. pit. And I could, I could kind of see that show too. It's, well, be, I could see that more likely. I mean, Claude very already different. kind of, you know, is, is not a sex symbol. Uh, and James Earl Jones, I can that also, been interesting, yeah. yeah, they all would have been interesting. I think anyone playing Quincy would have made it their own show. It just would have been a very different show. Um, but I had no idea. And obviously these, these clips all come from the TV Academy, uh, uh, website. So let's make sure we attribute their, their, uh, all the work they've put in to make these interviews over the years. Um, okay. So that's when Larson's version, of course, no reference to uh, maybe Lou Shaw, who does get a credit as kind of the creator of the show. Maybe he was somehow inspired by Wojak or that book or Tom. I don't know where those you know, especially that book. I don't know where that book came from. All right. So here's Jack Klugman's version of how this came to be. These are, this is two clips edited together. And you can see that it's not exactly, it's not very, it's not completely different than what Glenn Larson said, but there's some noticeable differences. Effective stuff, more poetic stuff, like with Tennessee Williams. But it led to Quincy because I turned it down at first. But then I thought about it. He's two heroes in one. He's a cop and he's a detective. I'm in a doctor. So I said, I could be a muckraker with this and do what I've always wanted to do. And I had to fight the networks and the producer and I got rid of the producer because they wanted it to be a cops and robbers show. I said, don't get somebody else. But eventually it turned out to be, we had legislation passed. We introduced so many injustices that were corrected. We had legislation passed by Ronald Reagan as a result of our show. So I'm very proud of that. And I kept, they kept sending me sitcoms and one was uh because i had won two emmys with that stuff and fred was the, the, the one silverman? the fred, what's fred silverman? silverman he then was head of abc and went up and he played a whole lot of stuff in front of me and i said i don't want to do it he went into his blue book which is a special half hour sitcom i said i don't want to do it i'm not going to do that i'm not going to do a series so that year went by, and then the next year, 77, I think it was, Monique Jameson, who was my, used to be my agent, a dear friend of mine, sent me Quincy. I read it, I don't want to do this. But I forgot to call her back, and we were very good friends. So I was in the shower, and the phone rang, and I came out and answered it. She said, what are you, some kind of big shot now? I said, what? I sent you a script three weeks ago, you don't call, you don't I said, well, I'll tell you the truth, uh, uh, Monique, what happened was, I've been thinking about it, it's very interesting, you see, because it's uh, two heroes in one, he's a cop and he's a doctor, and, so and I'm making up a whole story, and I'm starting to sell myself to this thing, I swear, I said, well, I, but I'll call you tomorrow, and I thought of all those things, it's right, he's two heroes in one, and I could be a muckraker, I said, so I called next day, I said, I want to have a meeting with Glenn Larson, created it. It was terrible. Terrible that way. So we had a meeting and, yeah, sure. Mark Rick, yeah. Yeah, messages, all that stuff. So I said, okay. So I decided to do it. Fred Silman said, Tabby Gresser called my aide said, he turns down my good stuff and now he goes and plays an undertaker. He said, he's not an undertaker. Said, but he's dealing with death. It'll be a bomb. It won't last. Everybody predicted it wouldn't last three shows. But then we do. We were only going to do four hour and a half shows. Because yeah, it's an NBC mystery movie yes, series, that's right? right? It was that's just it. So after that, they said, "Would you do it as an hour show?" 
I said, okay, but it's got to be done my way. I have no more cops and robbers. They said, fine, fine, fine. But the scripts, I'm getting cops and robbers. So I do about four or five cents in. No, I don't want to do it anymore. So they start to sue me. I said, fellas, you want to do the cops? Fine, get another boy. I don't want to do it. That's all. You can sue me to do what you want. I'm not doing it. I'm sick. They said, what do you want? I said, you got to get rid of him. But he created it. I don't care. It's him or me. You want him? Stay with it. I don't mind. I don't really know what I want to do series anyway, but I certainly don't want the cops and robbers. So the ratings were pretty good on those hour shows. So they got rid of him, but they got rid of him, like, uh, gave him a pot full of money. This is Glenn Larson. You're Glenn talking. Larson. A lot of money and a lot of uh, every royalties. So I went back and then started working, did my show. About a year later, I saw him at a party. He came over to say hello. I said, don't come and say hello to me. He said to me, stay well. You're making me rich. So they did not get along. <laughs> and we'll, we'll hear a little more about that from Glenn Larson uh, in a little bit when we get to the meat of the show. Um, so, uh, you know, there's some differences there, although I guess it's kind of in line with the. With... Well, he's certainly downplaying his initial interest. In yes. It's possible. Hey, nice, that... nice cameo from Abby Greshler. Yes. It's possible Glenn Larson only heard the part of him being interested after he got interested. Uh, Okay, so uh, now we'll play the theme. I love the Quincy theme, but there are two versions of the theme. Okay. Did you notice that? Uh, No, I've... uh, Not two different themes, two versions of the same theme. Did you notice? Well, I don't know how... I've been sort of stuck in the same season, so I haven't seen... What season are you watching? Like, Like late... Quince, late Quincy. Okay, so then you haven't heard the first theme. So we'll play, we'll play both, and then we can discuss. I have a very strong opinion about okay. which one I like more than the other.
So that first version, that folksy mm. version, I, 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 I don't like it. I, no, it makes me so angry. I agree. Well, that's the one that I, the first one is the one I've been hearing. This, the second one, you mean? No, the first. Well, then one. you're not in late Quincy. You're in early Quincy. I don't know. That's, so that switchover happened in season five. The first four seasons were that folksy one. Right. I call it folksy. I don't know how you would. I call it, it like swing jazz party music. Yes. Okay. I mean, and. No, you know what, maybe is it possible in syndication they just have one opening credits for No, because I've been watching it on Cozy in the later seasons, oh, okay. an edition DVD, and it's the right thing. No. Well, regardless of what I've been watching, what I just heard now is the first one. This, this is reminds me of what I thought when I first started watching Quincy. Which uh, the second version. I'm just gonna say, regardless right now, yeah. <laughs> the reaction I had to the first clip you played. Yes. Is the reaction I had when I, it must have been what I heard the first time I watched Quincy. Which is? Which is the, <laughs> what I'm saying is that first clip you played. The uh, first version of the theme you're saying. The first clip you play, which you're saying is the first version of the Yes. Uh, yes, I heard that. That was the one I heard when I, the first episode I watched, whatever. And I was so taken aback by those saxophones coming in. Like, bah, 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 bah. So you've never heard the second version no. until I played it. Right. And you, and you so like it better. Much better. It's more serious. It's, uh, it has kind of, it's a little slower tempo, more kind of, it more sounds like more of a typical police show. Uh, but that first one with that, bah, 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 it's, it's like, I said, what the hell is this? Now, why, what made you think whatever you're watching is later Quincy then? How I, are I don't, you I, but based on what I'm seeing in the episode information, but uh, I could be wrong. Okay. Um, I trust you. I trust you are right on this. Oh, this uh, is my, I'm an expert on this topic. Yes. You okay. Are the Quincy now, did you know there's a version of the theme with lyrics? No. Here we go. There's a murder. It was poison. Take him down to Quincy. He will cut him open. He will know what killed him instantly. He works with a Japanese guy who looks in the microscope a lot. Watch those cops pass out. He used to be Oscar. He lived with Felix Unger. I think he was best on Twilight Zone. In the Quincy theme song, there's this really cool jazz part. Here it comes. Quincy is just ending, but oh boy, the show on next is Barnaby Jones. I found right, that. That is a joke. It's a joke. I found that online. A guy did that, put it on YouTube. And I thought it was so funny. I just, I, well, I it is, it's actually great because he is described, it kind of sums up what's ridiculous about that version of the, of the theme. Uh, now, of course, he's referencing, we should talk about the opening credits are famous, I think well known because of the scene where the cops pass out as they're watching. Which I also hate. I mean, let me just sum up my, the opening credits almost turned me off the show. Really? <laughs> I'm glad I, I stayed with it because they're just so silly. I mean, especially with that, jazzy version of the of the theme it's like i thought this was a drama <laughs> and but you know what's interesting now i see based on those interviews you just played it's like wow they really had this worry about the subject matter of the show like they were really they had to like convince the audience it's not going to be a downer yeah 
dead people. And it's like they're going so far to have this like ridiculous slapstick bit of the cops like growing up when they see a dead body. And and also Quincy on the well, you're gonna describe it all, but Quincy getting sexy on the boat with his bikini now you never seen who never that. is in the show. Have you never seen that scene of the cops no. passing out? I oh. never watched Quincy, so I, I was but it's such an iconic. All right, I don't know where you've been. It's such an iconic <laughs> opening sequence. Well, I, I I don't you think it's just really out of the tone no. is really weird. I, I I'm so used to the show, and I know the show has Jack Klugman humor in it. Yes. Yes, that I uh, and I that to me is such an iconic part of an opening. You know, when you okay. talk about iconic opening title sequences, that moment, that clip is yeah. one of them. And to me, it's not silly; it's just part of the DNA of the show. But they would never have a scene like that in the show. Well, I think that comes from the one of the early. I think oh. it comes from the pilot. Oh, yeah, or one of the TV I movies. Could be wrong then. Yeah, they didn't anyway, film that yeah, for what, the opening what's titles. More, what's more interesting to me now is seeing that this is like strategic, like. They are reassuring the audience that it's good. Well, you, I don't think you've watched the op- the early TV movies. No, I did. I have not okay, seen so the longer ones. So I think I, that comes I, from I, one of those. So, um, all right. So, so the first four TV movies are not very good. Oh. Jack Clevin's right. They are cops and they're cops and robber shows. It's it's not as much about him being in a in a laboratory or an issue. They're convoluted. They're contrived. They're forcing him to be an action hero more like you know mcleod was if you if you focus on the nbc mystery movie characters mcleod was an action hero and that's where trying to make quincy as opposed to colombo who was the you know a, a very critical thinker and was a a um uh a person who solved right. crimes using his mind right. and that's what quincy ultimately became and, and they're just they're tough to sit through they feel like they're three hours long not 90 minutes long now, in those in those uh, episodes and in the early part of season two, he had a girlfriend, mm, okay, Lee, who was played by Lynette Meddy. And what you referred to earlier is the <laughs> other famous part of the Quincy Quincy yeah. theme is we see him throughout the opening credits touching the arm of uh, a bare arm, right? Which at the end is revealed to be this right we think it's a one of his dead bodies it's kind of a really gruesome it's it's this blonde thing. girl who and jack klugman <laughs> has this history of being with girls who are too young for him on tv shows on tv shows odd yeah. couple right. although they Not in they, real life, apparently, but... they adjust that in in this show eventually this character of lee is is age appropriate kind of i mean she's a little she's probably younger than jack klugman but she doesn't seem like she's too right. young uh and and that character doesn't work when they were out. Um, and those early episodes of season two are also not very good. Uh, so they later, never, it looks like they never updated the opening credits in all those eight seasons. No, they did not. It's the same. It's the same visual for the actual visuals. Yeah. Yes, visuals. Uh, later in season two, the episodes do move away from the high concept crime stories, and they start to tackle some issues: uh, euthanasia, rape kits, child abuse. Now, something does happen interesting in season two, which Jack Klugman mentioned in his clip, that has happened in other shows, but not in the second season, which is that in episode seven of the show, he refused to show up to work. He said, I quit. It's what he basically said. I don't want to come in. I, this is not the show I, I, I signed up for. And so there's an episode called Has Anyone Here Sin Quincy <laughs> that he's not in. So they hired a, a noted uh, Asian character actor named Yuki Shimoda to fill in. Um, it's a it's not a great episode. That character is 
kind of, well, it, it felt like a little forerunner of Mr. Miyagi. Like they make him a little bit like that. Well, you mentioned the book that could have been the inspiration was about a to- Japanese. Yes, that's right. Uh, and that may be uh, where they decided to go to this sort of character. Uh, and, and I don't of course, know. Of Quincy has a Japanese American. Right. Yes. So here's Glenn Larson talking about this, this incident. Once we got into series, Jack, again, wanted to go heavy, heavy, heavy. And we felt we had to keep it at least somewhat on the lighter side. We finally did an episode in which Jack says, I'm not coming to work. And so we wrote an episode called, Has Anyone Here Seen Quincy? About an Asian doctor, and, as I recall. And we used, used an Asian in the, in the department, patterned after Noguchi, the real coroner. Um, and Jack came back the next week, but our relationship was some, somewhat breached at that point. We, we didn't see eye to eye on a lot of this stuff, but Jack also wanted me to quit McLeod and be full-time there and stand on the set. And the problem with that was that when you're doing medical shows that are based on hard facts, um, you can't do like the odd couple. You can't stand there and look for a better line and wing it. Sitcoms are done one way. Two-hour mystery movies based on uh, you know a single bone that could turn out to identify a body, including the race, size and all of those other things requires a lot of research and a lot of uh, experts on hand and uh it we we started to get a little bit out of phase on that worse a new president came in and started tampering with the mystery movie instead of running it back to back he decided to do new york city's birthday party then he did something the sinatra from the madison square garden but he interrupted the flow and when the next, when the first mystery movie came back on the air, it was Columbo, the ratings were way down. And then he did another main event, and then the ratings went down again. And actors, producers, even studios get nervous when the ratings start coming down. Jack got started to get a little edgy and a little bit uh, doubtful of his staff. Those are a little, I mean, Glenn Larson saying, that Klugman wanted him there the whole time. Klugman was is saying he wanted to get rid yeah. of him. They may, <laughs> they may both be true in some form, but clearly he left the show. He was not happy with Glenn Larson, Jack Klugman. But yeah. this was still early on. Like. This season two. So Carol Connor, there's three episodes of, of All in the Family without Carol Connor because he also left the show in a contract oh. dispute. Um, but that was season five. Yeah. So this is very early to have this happen. Um, but it got worked out. Season three. Now the show really starts to find what I think people know Quincy for by season three. They do have still mystery episodes and there are mysteries and crime dramas throughout the show, but um, uh, they start to deal with topics. And this is the perfect time, like the late seventies, early eighties is when like social issues were starting to be more addressed. I think society Um, and the usual setup was, uh, and this is season three starts to establish this. Some, a body is brought to the office Somehow it would be caused by some social issue. Mm-hmm. Quincy would go meet with an expert in the topic who would educate him on the scope of the problem and the audience. And then Quincy would use this information to go lecture someone else about the dangers mm-hmm. of the problem. 
before he would lecture them, he would do a small joke and do his Klugman mm-hmm. laugh. And so here's an example of, 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 this, of this sort of setup. This is an, a, a season three episode involving battered women. Uh, it's set at a shelter. Uh, in the episode, a woman dies after being startled by a burglar. Uh, but uh, Quincy discovers, a, and I think she falls and hits her head, but Quincy discovers a prior brain injury from sustained beating over the years is really what caused her to die. And he suspects the husband after he does some investigating. So here he goes to visit a shelter that the wife stayed at um, after leaving the husband. It's almost a national pastime. Do you realize, doctor, that there are better than three million battered wives running around this country? Or rather, staggering around? No, for some reason or other, most of these women, they will go right back home. Like that young girl I was talking to out there? Mrs. DeMarco? Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. She'll go back home. I'll bet she'll be gone by tomorrow. And in a month or six months, whatever, she'll be right back here. Unless she's beaten too badly. Ladies, lunch is ready. Mrs. Steele was too badly beaten. Oh, yes. I pulled her card right after you called. She came to us just a little over six months ago. It was late evening. Was she examined? Uh Uh-huh. We have a physician on call, Dr. Rivera. Well, she died of a subdural hematoma. I think the brain injury was about at least six months old. Couldn't have happened that night. Well, our clinic isn't really equipped for a thorough examination, but Dr. Rivera said she had all the symptoms of a concussion. He really wanted her to go to a hospital, but she refused, and she left the next morning. You, uh, you haven't spoken to Mr. Steele yet. Now, that's my next step. <laughs> well, I wish you luck, Doctor, but I'm afraid that you won't have any. So that's, an, that's a version of that. Uh, he goes to talk to the husband, who denies doing anything to her. Uh, but Quincy ends up in putting in his report that the woman died potentially of of being a battered spouse and the da challenges this this putting this in the in the record and then here we get quincy responding to that but a lot of people are going to read that report and a lot of people are going to ask questions and they're going to come to the same conclusion i did i hope i mean i really hope so (laughs) do you really well uh excuse me i'm getting a little confused here but in our present system a man is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law right now you don't even have obviously enough information for an indictment i'll get enough maybe maybe not in the meantime mr Steele will be tried in the newspapers because he's still prominent if you will a big shot but what if he's not guilty doctor then you will be responsible for smearing him and dragging his name through the mud. Quincy, Quincy, he does have a point. Yes, he does. You do have a point, sir. Yes, you do. He does have a point. But so do I. If I change my report, take out that last part, I'll be doing less than my job. That's not what you pay me for, sir. Look, doctor, no way... Steele is guilty, which I believe he is. I think he's guilty as hell. That doesn't matter, does it? Because you've got a patsy that takes a rap. 
Well, listen, he's only 1% responsible for that lady's death. The other 99% goes to her husband. What happens to him? Nothing. He goes loose. Maybe he'll pick up another wife. Maybe he'll beat her brains out, too. Then you'll pick up another patsy, right? Come on, Dr. Quincy. It is almost impossible for Almost impossible means it's possible. Now, I'll get you all the evidence you'll need against the eminent Mr. Steele. I'll nail him to the wall for you. It better be awfully conclusive. Because if it's not, I'm not taking it into court. Believe me. I speak from long, painful experience. Anything less, and they will throw it out. Now, I trust that you and I will see each other again sometime soon. Oh, I guarantee it. Good, good. Next time, bring me just a little more evidence. And I promise I'll be on your side. I hope so. Uh, Dr. Quincy. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. yeah. Well, I thought that was uh, <clears throat> very useful. I, of course, I will uh, keep in touch. Now, you're grateful for uh, that obstinance, huh? It's hard to stop, isn't it? <laughs> so that's uh, a good button there to kind of explain what, what you know, Aston and the the air explaining what Quincy's like. Yeah. Um, all right. And then the finally, sometimes Sam gets a little bit of a brunt of it, too. Ooh. So here's a small clip of that from the same after Quincy speaks to the husband and everyone, you know, questions Quincy, which I feel like is not just to give Quincy somebody to argue against. It's it's the true other side, because there is two versions to what's happening. And the D.A. does have to worry about what if Quincy's wrong, because not yeah in the well, show I, I mean in the show it's too often where people believe quincy's wrong mm -hmm. but they also can't just assume quincy's always right i think that makes it that's uh, one of the good things about the show is that he uh, yeah a highlight of the of every episode for me is when he comes up against the establishment that's what's great about quincy he's always fighting the establishment and but they they they're generally pretty good about not making the establishment like a straw man you know they they have a point Yes. And it, so it ends up being a, and this is what I think Klugman wanted out of these scripts is like genuine drama and debate about issues, not a simple, you know, cops and robbers, as he says. So here's uh, Sam getting involved in this topic. What a performance he gave. You should have been there, Sam. It was a beauty. Lawrence Olivier couldn't have done better. He looked me straight in the eye, losing all that truth and dignity the whole bit. He made me ashamed that I suspected him. And he was lying through his teeth. Sure, Quince. Are you really sure? Oh, come on, will you, Sam? Maybe she was accident prone. She fell down a flight of stairs, she tripped over something, she ran into a door. Could have been anything. Over a period of time, it could have been all of them. You believe that, then you believe in the tooth fairy. It was steel, all right? I'd stake my reputation on it. I have a feeling, Quince, you may have to. Um, now, I this episode I pulled from uh, is not just because of that example, but um it has a very important role in the legacy of quincy Ooh. i bet you don't know what it is i do not know what it is so famously we never hear quincy's first name right and now i was wondering because you 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 exposed eddie garrett's character's last name which we didn't we never knew ed's last name do we ever find out quincy's we never find out quincy's first name but in this episode when Quincy meets a woman at the battered shelter, battered wife shelter, battered woman shelter, he hands her his business card. 
And later we see his husband, her husband, look at the business card and it says R. Quincy. R period Quincy. <laughs> the mystery continues. I've always chosen that to mean Robert. Because that would be like the most generic. I don't know why. Yes. Well, it could be Roger. Why not Rinaldo? Well, or Richard or Roger Doc Roger Doctor. Doctor. Oh, be... <laughs> he should be Roger Doctor Quincy. Um, um so that's that's this that happens in this episode and you, you could you it's 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 well known i didn't oh, I catch anything okay. it's it's a Do you think they were having a joke there were probably that was a joke in an in joke for the staff well but. it it's surprising that for a show that goes to so much effort and we'll talk a little yeah. bit about that later to not ever say his first name is they could have just the card could just said dr quincy yeah well but they actually put a first initial <laughs> there and it's surprising that that it's happened like they were and well, what point is this in the in the this series? is season three okay so it's early but they're they're refusing to commit to a first name like yes. they clearly do not want him to have a first name i guess not very like grudgingly reluctant fine we'll just say r but uh, i think it is i guess it's part of the appeal like i it didn't take me too many episodes to notice that wow even his girlfriend calls him quincy <laughs> right so it's like well, this is really fun and i do wish some of the academy interviewers had either asked glenn larson <laughs> or jack klugman why never first name all right so let's season four notable episodes include uh quincy is shot and the rest of the team have to figure out who shot him and he's not in that episode either basically they tackled autism affirmative action mental institutions gonorrhea plastic surgery drug overdoses police brutality toxic spills and holistic medicine season five they deal with laced marijuana child pornography insurance costs elder abuse dui amphetamines and athletics my favorite episode of season five is called dead Real arena it's where quincy races to stop a botulism outbreak at a soccer match at the la coliseum oh. it's like a good solid like you know uh mystery to, you know right. uh race against time hmm. season six tackles sids which i had never heard of until i watched quincy uh tourettes which we'll talk about more which i'd also never heard of until i watched quincy bubonic plague drug mules lack of life drafts on commercial airliners child pornography again fad diets and vigilante so the Tourette's episode is the most important. You heard Jack Klugman talk about passing legislation. So um, the episode about Tourette's is really about orphan drugs. Orphan drugs are drugs that the FDA and pharmaceutical companies don't really pay attention to or didn't pay attention to because there weren't enough sufferers of the disease. Uh, there was a congressman at the time, Henry Waxman, who tried to bring this topic up in Congress. He had a Tourette's su sufferer testify. Henry Waxman was like an LA congressman. It's uh, Southern California. Right. So there's a Tourette's, you know, Tourette's was a disease that people suffered from, but the medicines that there was a medicine that existed in Canada that helped solve it, but the U.S. wouldn't bring it over because of, the, of all the cost of having a drug be uh, able, legal to be used in the U.S. Uh, Jack Klugman's brother, Maurice, who worked on the show, uh, suffered from a rare form of cancer, saw an article about this topic of orphan drugs and persuaded Jack to do this episode with Tourette's called Seldom Silent Never Heard. So Klugman and Waxman worked together to make this episode part of a publicity campaign, which led to Klugman testifying to pass the Orphan Drug Act in Congress. That act stalled, and that led to a follow-up episode in season eight called Give Me Your Week, 
Right. And that's that, the one I, I saw that. Okay. I, I was listening to you saying, wow, I saw Earth, the orphan drug, but it wasn't about Tourette's. I saw the second one. Yeah. Uh, and that led to a real life compromise in Congress and passage of the Orphan Drug Act, signed by Ronald Reagan, 1983, which is still in use today. If you go to the FDA website, you'll see an article on the blog about this act and Quincy's role in it. And because of that, hundreds of medications in the marketplace are helping millions of patients today. And a lot of people give Jack Klugman credit because he was able to bring a lot of attention to it. Unfortunately, Maurice Klugman died in 1981 before the act was passed. But here is Quincy, um, you know, fighting for the drug against a congressman. A lot of well-meaning people have approached me on this bill, Dr. Quincy. And it's not as if I'm not sympathetic. It's just that, well, I'm not sure what the whole thing is. It's just a lot of window dressing. Believe me, Congressman, I wouldn't have come all the way up here to talk to you about window dressing or theories. I have some concrete proposals from the best authorities I could find. I'd still like to know how the drug companies are going to break even on a drug with only 100,000 customers. By everybody pitching in, carrying their share of the burden, including you lawmakers. You can start with tax incentives and loan guarantees, help subsidize the enormous cost of clinical testing, cover their liability insurance. And if they make a profit on the drug, they pay the government back. That way, everybody's a winner. And if the patent laws don't run long enough, extend them. Congress can do that. And that'll balance their books? No. Not by itself, no. The FDA has to help. There is no reason why an orphan drug has to cost $50 million. Now, they should do something about that. All right, what about the pharmaceutical industry? Like I said, everybody has to carry their load. Oh, if I could only be sure we could pay for this brave new world of yours. We pay now, and we're getting ourselves a bargain. Right now, we are paying for a lifetime of disability for a Tourette victim. Now, you multiply that by 100,000, and that by a score of orphan diseases, and you tell me what we can afford and what we can't afford. You realize, of course, that this session of Congress is almost over. Our time is running out. Well, maybe we can beat that clock if we don't run out. Um, so there, so that's, a, that's, that's the high point of Quincy, is you know, these two episodes and, and the impact it had. There are two standout episodes in season seven. One had guest star Tyne Daly as a foster parent to children with Down syndrome. And one of my favorites is an episode that deals with Holocaust deniers and Holocaust victims, guest starring Malton Balsam and Norman Lloyd. Unfortunately, season eight brought a low point to Quincy <laughs> in what may be the most infamous episode about punk rock. I saw it. I saw it. Called Next Step Nowhere, when Quincy fights against dangerous rock music lyrics <laughs> after a teen dies in a punk rock club. And so Quincy goes from this hero saving millions of people's lives to a fuddy-duddy old man right. <laughs> who is raging against something that just seems so silly. I don't know at the time if it seems silly as it does now or... Uh, it's just time has passed. Well, I think I think the tar the show's target audience still thinks he's a hero. Uh, you know, it's like this is a, a harder a, a harder to watch show now uh, because right all along he's like clearly on the right side. Uh, but in their context, this is like another. It's like a it's like his drug episodes. You know, the kids uh, ODing on drugs and and. Uh, and that the problem is the drugs or the drugs, you know, the pushers and all that. And there, so I do think like older people in 1982, whatever it was, uh, 
yeah, it'll probably work. And the parents, the emphasis on that story is the mother of the daughter who gets, you know, drawn in by that world. And clearly the that's who you're supposed to be watching the story through, the perspective of this grieving mother who's lost her daughter to this punk rock, dangerous punk rock world. And so it's very much like on the side of the parents, you know, and not the kids. Yes. It's the only episode, it's the main episode now that isn't binary. Like all the other topics, there's no, you can't argue against Quincy fighting everything right. else. Right. This is the one where it just seems like, why are you like, you're, you're, you're picking the wrong side of the battle. Yeah. <laughs> right, so in the episode, Quincy debates this punk rock musician <laughs> whose lyrics Quincy blames for the murder of this woman. And isn't this on the, like they go on a show that looks a lot like Donahue. Yes. So that's exactly what I have in my notes. This is their fake Donahue show. Right. I used to be conned. Do you have any plans for the future? Yeah. I plan to get blown away in a nuclear war. You know, it's just like that song of man's. There ain't no tomorrow. Only yesterday's pain. Okay, don't go away, Abby. I, I want to get Dr. Quincy in on this. Abby just quoted from the very music you cited as contributing to a brutal murder. Now, you're not really saying that music can kill, are you? Yes, I am. I believe that the music I heard is a killer. It's a killer of hope. It's a killer of spirit. The music I heard said that life was cheap and that murder and suicide was okay. Music can be a very powerful thing. Nothing galvanizes the emotions as quickly. You know what the lyrics in question fly? Do you take issue with any of this? Hell yes. You know why you people can't stomach our songs? Because they're a mirror, dig? Our music's ugly and violent because that's what's outside my window when I wake up. The world's ugly. The world's violent. All we do is rub your noses in it. You don't like what you see. Well, don't lay it on us. You're right about one thing. There is too much ugliness and violence out there. But if we took your advice, we'd never overcome it. All you want us to do is throw up our hands and give up. Who got us where we are today? It was your generation. Now you people have your finger on the button, ready to blow the whole joint to bits, and you're telling us to cool it? You know, not so many years ago, there was a generation of young people who were as mad as you are about the world. Only they worked their tails off to change it. Trying to end a war they didn't believe in, trying to correct injustices that they saw. But all you do is gripe. Has it ever occurred to you to do something else with your anger besides vending it? You're the ones who loused everything up. And you expect us to pick up the pieces. If not you, then who? I don't know. Any, uh, volunteers out there? Not me, man! <laughs> yes, sir, you have a question. I only want to say that if I had a son like you, I'd sure know how to cure him. I'd put him over my knee, and I'd whip some sense into him. <laughs> hey, mister, if I had a dad like you, I'd do the exact same thing. Okay, okay, uh, you'll have your chance. I don't mean to be presumptuous, but what I think they're saying is, is there anything you really care about? And just because we don't wear polyester and carry credit cards, that doesn't make us criminals. I mean, we're not psychos. We're not bikers. We don't go around terrorizing people. We're, we're artists. That's right. And all we want is the freedom to be ourselves without getting hassled. I'd like to ask you, young lady, Abigail, what's so red hot about these punks? They look like losers to me. You've got a mother that loves you. What do these people do for you? They accept me. I accept you, Abigail. I've never stopped loving you. 
You want me to be someone that I'm not. Abby, she wants you to grow, to become the person you know you're capable of being. Will you give it up, lady? She's had her fill of your bull. Yeah, by the time she's had enough fill of your bull, it may be too late. Abby, please listen to me. The only thing at the end of the road that you're traveling on is an early grave. Will you let go of my arm? Abby, please. You don't want to end up like your boyfriend, do you? At least he's free. So the woman that we hear at the end of that clip before Abby speaks is uh, Quincy's other new girlfriend at the time, Dr. Emily Hanover, played by Anita Gillette. He was, she was introduced as his girlfriend in season eight, but she was used more as a way of being the voice piece of all the social problems that Quincy right. would have to deal with. She would always know everything and lecture Quincy on what the problem was and lecture the audience. But now, in, this in this case, it's like, this is the first time I saw her character. And I was yeah. like, oh my, I, I knew that he got engaged at some point, like had the serious girlfriend. But it's like, wow, she's such a drip. <laughs> she's, she's annoying. But what's interesting about her is there's a flashback in season four of Quincy's dead wife oh. played by Anita Gillette. That is, okay, well, that. Uh, her name was. Um, <laughs> that is, talk about continuity problems. Her name was Helen. Apparently she died of cancer. And that's what led Quincy to leave private practice oh. to go to the medical examiner's office. Um, so Quincy does eventually get engaged to Emily and marry her, which you would think would allow the officiant to say, do you, Dr. <laughs> something Quincy? He just calls he just calls him Quincy. <laughs> Even the priest calls. I thought, I had always thought in that episode that when the officiant says his first name, somebody coughs wow. in the crowd and it covers it. Really? I had always thought that. I knew I remember thinking that in the in the I remember, I don't know why. I remember. I used to work when I was in college, my senior year of college, or between junior and senior year, 91, 92, I worked on Sundays at a real estate agency as a secretary. And it would be very quiet. And Quincy was on TV Sunday afternoons, and I would watch it. And I remember watching that episode. And remember, I thought seeing somebody cough. Mm -hmm. I went back now, nobody coughs. Mm -hmm. The fishing just say, do you, Quincy, take it, <laughs> which is so stupid. <laughs> well, um, Maybe there was an edit at some point in syndication. Uh, no, I okay. don't think so. But uh, is it possible you're thinking of another show with a no. similar problem? No, I don't know. And clearly you have imagined a better version of that scene that you have committed to, yes. to believing in. <laughs> I, I Yeah, I don't think that everything's been edited oh, since. So why would they edit that? It's interesting. There is a kind of, uh, now that you got me thinking of the topic, you know, characters only known by their last name, and that the show goes on long enough, it becomes an obvious uh, question. Now, the Kramer being a great example. Right. But there they, they had to give into it. They yeah. just acknowledged that it was weird, and they just gave him a first name, and they made a big deal about it. And uh, it's so it's almost like there's something where they know this is weird. <laughs> what I didn't remember about the wedding episode, which is worse, hmm. is that she sings her vows to Quincy. Oh. It's weird. It is horrific right, that's to really listen weird. to. I cringe. <laughs> I, I'm not playing a clip of it. Yeah, it's good. so cringy. Yeah. I don't remember that at all. That um, is so weird. It's the same act. It's like Klugman must have really liked her. If he chose her, cast her as both as his only love interest, true love interest in the show twice. So in the final episodes of season eight and the final episodes of the show, Quincy's married. Emily's around all the time. It's a good time to end the show because it's just getting yeah. tired. 
Uh, there was a late episode in season eight, though, that's particularly good about adults who cannot read. Huh. I always found that very interesting. How does he justify? How do they fit that into a medical context? So there's a um, a a, um, a a worker at a industrial site who is told to go torch something, and he doesn't. There's a sign, clear sign, that says "Do not torch, do not open a flame in this area. It's dangerous." And so they can't figure out why he didn't ignore the sign. And eventually when he goes to talk to people, he finds out he can't read. The twist is they, a lot of season, a bunch of season eight has other guest actors on the show during the investigation work. I think Jack Klugman was just doing less work. Mm -hmm. So there's an act, there's a character actor named Gerald S. O'Loughlin who's on the rookies and he plays an investigator in the ME's office who's like investigating this case turns out he can't read either. Mm-hmm. So it's two for one. So it's a, it's really an interesting topic and an interesting episode. And I never knew, I think I never knew that there are adults who can't read until I watched this on Quincy again. in like, you know, when I was 11 or 12 now uh, in the series finale, uh, there's an episode about this new sort of clinic. I didn't watch it recently. Um, and the, apparently it's supposed to be a backdoor pilot about this new sort of medical clinic and that Dr. Hanover would be part of the clinic. It didn't sell. Hmm. Now, I always thought Quincy did well in the ratings, but I it went to look it ran that long. Yeah. I went to look at the rankings uh, every week, uh, sorry, every season. Uh, and it only ranked in, it never made the top 30. Wow. I am surprised it made it eight seasons based on this. Then there must've been something specific. Well, why would they have kept it on the air so long? Well, it I mean, eight seasons is by any, in any, era, lo- yes, by any it was a long well, run. There are a lot of shows like the odd couple that make out a, a long ish run or a long run just because they don't do poor enough to cancel. Right. But it was never a big a hit enough to just like keep going. I think. Do the eight seasons count? include the uh, initial movie yes yes that's why eight seasons should be closer to 180 episodes or so um so uh, but in a way as a one hour show it really only ran like six seasons uh seven because the second season is where it became an hour season one is the the movies season one's movies season two only had 13 episodes because it was a mid-season replacement and then there's a writer's strike in the show so there's only 18 in one of the seasons that's why it's because it's a it's not a show an eight season one hour drama would have many significant more episodes than this show does okay um so one uh, that's 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 my coverage of um uh, Quincy except the fact there's a lot of uncomfortable moments in the show where Quincy will be talking to a woman a mm-hmm. young pretty woman and he just <laughs> points out how pretty they are a yeah. lot and he just completely uh I wouldn't say hits on them in a creepy way but is just like gaga over them yes there's one episode the oh, episode yeah. where Eddie Garrett's name mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Aston is introducing this new young female doctor to them. And after he says, Eddie Garrett, Quincy says, welcome. It's nice to have a pretty face around here for a change. <laughs> right. I'm also thinking of the one where, uh, and uh, there probably are many examples, but I, there's one where they do a forensic psychiatrist. Yes, forensic yeah, psychologist. Yeah. Yeah. Right. To reconstruct the, the man's mind who killed him before he killed himself. And so he goes to this whole like, other expert in forensic psychology and they it's like 
it's almost like having a guest star investigator. And that guy has his own assistant, who's a young woman. And every time she's only she does barely anything in the in the show except like be there to receive Jack Klugman's compliments. And then the the the, uh, the kicker, you know, the tag for the whole episode is him like basically asking her out, and she can't go out with him. Yeah, it does a lot of that. Well, I was surprised how much I've been enjoying Quincy. I really had no, uh, I knew what it was about, but I never watched it. And once I started watching it, and I got past the uh, opening credits and that terrible theme song, um, I got surprisingly watchable. Like, I don't watch, unlike you, Ted, uh, I have a limited appetite for, like, retro TV. Uh, A lot of those shows just kind of blend together for me. I don't think I could ever sit and watch Love Boat, for instance. And Love Boat's tough to sit through. I've tried. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Um, but this, you know, I watch Law and Order. I watch other, you know, kind of procedural shows and can get into them. And while Quincy is very much of its time in its trappings, I rarely feel, I feel it's like it works. It's still watchable as a procedural, as a, as a mystery. As, and um, um, some obviously more than others, depending on the topic. So on that level, I just find it kind of uh, what can I say, diverting to watch. But once I started realizing how often it was uh, taking on issues, then I became even more interested in it. And I could, I always felt this is, I was feeling Klugman's, this is, must be coming from Klugman. But uh, it's always interesting to hear that confirmed that that was his main fight with the producers. Uh, because Klugman is a serious actor, and he grew up at a time, and he was, came out of a world of theater that was very political. Um, and uh, I think he's—I can see how he saw this as an opportunity to do something he didn't get to do on The Odd Couple, uh, to raise issues. And it gets—it's definitely preachy, and it's not subtle, but it's not supposed to be. I mean, I think it's kind of like not for for primetime television drama. It, it's kind of like this is what you'd expect you know and, and it does it in a not usually too cringy way as i said i think when they debate they set up scenes for real debates where it's not just a straw man where they do have the give the other side a lot of voice i think even the punks you know uh that could have been handled worse like the punks do get to say their piece you know and make and say how awful uh the, the world is so i enjoyed that i definitely enjoyed seeing them take on uh, those kinds of episodes. The you mentioned bubonic plague. I saw that one. That's the one on the Indian reservation. Yeah, and uh, that's one where I really, you know, I thought how uh, here's something that may be out of uh, maybe dated about it is that they just the show just takes on as a given that public health matters and that it's like good when a doctor or a public health official goes into a community and, and really tries to like protect those people and say, you got to take these vaccines, for instance, right? You got to like uh, stay home and just, and I just keep thinking like, he's like Dr. Fauci, you know, and uh, there's like, and now what we see now is such um, rejection of, of uh, centralized authority and uh, libertarian kind of, uh, you know, refusal to acknowledge the government. And I can see that Quentin kind of comes out of this more idealistic uh, political vision of like good government, uh, responsible uh, leaders. And, and it's, it's weird. It's like the in the in the bubonic plague episode, it's the the problem are the Native Americans who are clinging to their old medicine. 
like they have a, a medicine man who is kind of like refusing the modern treatment. And they're seen as like the backward ones who are resisting this. And now uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, uh, it's plain old white middle-class Americans who are doing that. So I think it, brought, yeah, bring, it, it deals with those issues well. And uh, what else did I like about it? I like, I think there is just enough humor. Like the Klug, it's interesting to see the ways that Klugman get, allows himself to be a little goofy, allows himself like a funny uh, take, you know, uh, reaction shot to something. And I can see how having him in there helped lighten the, the tone, especially in his fights with his boss. With Aston, yeah. Aston. They, uh, they, that is, those scenes are, can be funny in a good way. Um, I like their, their chemistry. Jack. I also love that speed is it's Oscar and speed. Like I keep watching Quincy and seeing Oscar and speed together. Having Gary Wahlberg in it is so much fun, which leads me to this. I want, I, I wonder if I'm the only one who have this fan theory that Quincy is actually an odd couple sequel, which is about what happens after Oscar and speed. When Felix moves out, Felix remarried and moves out and Oscar's kind of lonely and bored and he and speed decide to move to LA and start a detective agency and uh take on different names new identities i think that's a silly theory <laughs> because they they still have like a similar relationship together um uh so and they bring along eddie garrett of course of course um the only other uh, you know so i'm surprised i haven't noticed more odd couple act actors that i remember from odd couple um Yes, Joshua Shelley is the only actor I saw come up a couple times uh, who was on The Odd Couple. But yeah, all the people we pointed out, yeah. I never actually saw many of them when I, who's, my viewing. Joshua Shelley. He was, uh, keep talking and I'll tell you who he okay. was. On well, the, the one I, re I recognize was Michael Constantine, shows up like three times, I think. But that's season one, which of course is not canon. Oh, okay. I'm joking. That's a joke. <laughs> oh, I've seen not season one of Odd Couple. Yes. <laughs> Okay. Well, Michael Constantine, who is indeed the gangster Bill Green in uh, season one of The Odd Couple, shows up, I think, three times on Quincy, one in a two, once in a two-parter, where he's like, a, he's a celebrity actor. His son dies of an overdose, and he is a clown on television. He's like the creepiest TV clown. Michael Constantine seeing him as a TV clown is really funny. Uh, Joshua Shelley is the burglar in oh, uh right. I, I and he's also the accountant accountant right, right yeah yeah. uh yeah kind Constantine shows up as the the clown who gets uh who who helps quincy uh fight the uh the 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 drug ring that killed his son and then he's in the um uh the orphan drug legislature then he plays a good then he plays like another doctor who's uh -huh. helping Quincy fight go to Congress and but what's funny is that whenever they have an actor who shows up more than once it's like Michael Constantine when he shows up the second time has a beard a really clearly obviously fake beard and then William Daniels I noticed was on it twice Hein Daly's on it twice playing yeah, yeah they had William a lot Daniels, of that first time uh, this has the second time he has glasses that's the difference <laughs> these two different characters um so yeah I find it uh a surprisingly good show and and I guess it's surprising they didn't do better in the ratings but I could see how it must have had a loyal audience for yeah it did well enough to keep getting renewed it just wasn't I always thought it was a hit 
and that it would be in the top 20 ranking positions at some seasons in the middle there. And I just, it was not the case. All right. So we're going to stop there. Bye, Bye. Bye, Sam.